Did y'all have a great Thanksgiving? And most everybody had turkey, right? Most everybody had a big, fat bird. And you basted it, and you prepared it. And some people actually posted on Facebook what the recipes were and how many hours they prepared it and all that kind of stuff. And it came out, and it was perfect. But then maybe some of you just talked a little bit too much, and you forgot about the turkey, and it kind of came out well done. I, I realize that most of us are probably still in a food coma right now, uh, but, <clears throat> but I want to talk about another kind of well done, the kind that really does make a difference in our lives. Over the past month, we've looked at this whole thing about being commissioned. And we've talked about how it is that we're commissioned for a mission. That is, God has called us to tell others about Jesus Christ. We're also commissioned to serve. That is one of the ways in which we gain a hearing in the lives of others, by serving as Jesus did. John Maurice talked about how we're commissioned to lead, and we do that by, by, by setting the pace for others and point others to the one who gives life. And last week, we, were taught, we talked about in, in very vivid forms through our worship, uh, Praise and Worship Sunday how we are commissioned to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And we're commissioned to worship Him in praise, both in prayer and in life. And today, we want to conclude this series of being commissioned and, and, and really focus on the challenge that as followers of Jesus Christ, we've been commissioned to something that is very meaningful. It's something that's real special, and it's something that really, we really look forward to with great anticipation. Studies have shown that a lot of people who are in the workforce today would very gladly deal with and I'm not encouraging this for all you employers, okay, would very gladly deal with less money if they knew that their work was really appreciated and if that were communicated on a consistent basis. True appreciation really makes an impact in people. Most of us enjoy being affirmed in some way or another, and yet there are certain people in our lives that when they come up to us and say something positive and they appreciate us and they express their admiration or whatever it is that we've done, that compliment is greater than any of the other compliments combined. And maybe you can think of a certain person that does that to you. And if you heard a compliment from them, it would mean the world and it would make a difference for six months or a year. Or you would simply recall that again and again and again. I remember when so-and-so said this to me. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, and we're going to begin with verse 14. And because it's a lengthy passage of Scripture and because of time, I'm going to encourage you to look at it, to look at the Scripture to, uh, with me. 
and, uh, and follow along because this is a very popular story that we've heard about. It's called the parable of the talents or the parable of the money bags. And it tells a story about how, how an owner got ready to leave and he met with three of his associates and three of his servants and he gave them some bags of money. The bags of money, and if you've got a certain translation, will probably say that he gave them a talent. Well, a a talent or a bag of money back in those days was worth between 1.5 to 1.75 million dollars. Okay, did you hear that? 1.5 to 1.75 million dollars. And so here was one guy, and he, get, he, he, he received five bags of money. And then there was another guy, and he received two bags of money. 7.5. Don't, don't forget that, okay? 7.5 million for the first one. Approximately 3 million for the second guy. And there was another one that received one bag of money, still worth $1.5 million. And the Bible says, or Jesus says, that he gave it each to them according to their ability. Folks, please understand something here. God knows what you can do and what I can do. He knows what each of us are capable of. And he never asks us to do what we can't, but he does expect us to do what we can. And I find it amazing that this master ended up setting every single one of his servants up for tremendous success, each according to their abilities. And I want us to understand from this this passage of Scripture that God has given us, you and me, opportunities because he believes in us. And often we, we, we tend to focus on this story and we think about the guy, uh, you know, the three guys and what they did. But so often we forget that it was the master who provided the resources. He was the one who was generous. He believed in each of these men and trusted them to use what he gave them in a wise manner. <clears throat> and I look out here and I see all of us here. <clears throat> And I think we can all agree, after Thanksgiving, we've probably taken the time to be thankful because God has been good to us, hasn't he? He has been really, really good to us. And I don't know why we have so much in in America. But I'll tell you, because of my trip to India just a few weeks ago, I, I find it, I find it, just really hard to grasp anymore. He has gifted us with so much when other parts of the world are in such tremendous need. I saw a study in contrast, even in India. There were new homes that were made of concrete and steel, beautiful, beautiful places. But right next to them were some mud huts that were barely standing. Nearly 25% of the population in India lives on less than $1 per day. And that 25% is out of 1.4 billion people. But here, 
We complain if our furnaces aren't working right, or the air conditioning isn't pumping out enough air, or pumping out too much air. If we don't have the food that we want when we want it, and how long our commute to work is. You see, God has gifted us with so much. And I want us to understand that what he, the reason he has gifted us is so we can be generous and invest in the work of his kingdom, whether it be here in America or elsewhere in the world. Look at verse 16. Verse 16 tells us that the man with the five talents went to work at once and put those resources to work. He was impressive because he used his abilities and he already had a strategy in mind somehow to use those resources. And he risked and he worked and he did all the right things and he doubled the master's investment. The second man may not have been quite as industrious as, as the first because that term at once was not, is not there. Yet he turned around and he worked hard and doubled what his master had given him as well. And a lot of times we end up looking at the, at the third guy and say, well, he didn't have much to work with. But please understand, folks, we blow him off, but yet it, the master trusted him with $1.5 million. What could you do with $1.5 million? Anybody? Come on. Huh? Okay, start a business. What's that? Somebody else said something? What would you do for, with $1.5 million? Come on. Buy up land. Okay, I'm sorry. I can't, you know, I can't hear. <laughs> Help the grandchildren. Provide inheritance for all the kids and all that kind of stuff. We could think of what we could do with $1.5 million. This guy took it and he buried it. He buried it. He said, this belongs to my master. I'm not going to go ahead and mess with it. But we miss the fact that the master believed in him. Folks, Mechanicsville is a fairly, fairly prosperous area. I did some research just recently, and according to 2015 figures, which is two years ago, the average, the median income, that is 50% above, 50% below, of every woman, man, and child is $35,000 a year. Stop and think about that. The median household income, that is 50% above and 50% below, because you have two, two people working in the home, is over $76,000. And you may be saying in your mind, oh, that's not me. <laughs> Praise God, that's not me. Well, I wish it were me. But here's the question. What does God want us to do with the resources that we do have? How can we worship and honor him with the resources that he has so generously given us? Folks, let's face it, we have so much. And yet with opportunity comes responsibility. 
And the question that I need to ask myself and I need to ask you is, what are we, how are we going to use what God has given us to make a difference for him? And it is at the very core of my being that I share with you something that I deeply, deeply believe because I have always believed and will continue to believe and share with you this fact that I believe that God wants us at Mechanicsville Church of Christ to do something so big, something significant for him. He wants us to move forward for him in in a big, big way. And he wants to be able to say to every single one of us individually, as well as all of us collectively, well done. Well done. So we're called to use his resources generously to multiply our impact for God and his kingdom. And I want to ask you, are we giving what we are comfortable with or are we giving what God is speaking to us about giving? Are we investing for our retirement so that we can live comfortably or are we investing so that we can be a greater blessing to others. Because how we use what we have today will be a reflection of how we will use our resources tomorrow. If we fail to worship God with our first fruits or 10% of what it is that he has given us, of our resources right now, we will likely not do it later. After we've paid all the bills, after we've paid all the mortgage and all that kind of stuff, and the boat, and so on and so forth, we'll still want to keep some for the rainy day. And here's what I say to you. If pleasing God is not a priority for us now, then he won't be a priority for us later. And I encourage you, I encourage me, that we will use our talents and our treasures and our gifts wisely now, but to do it in ways to honor him because he's the one that we serve. He's the one we've been called to follow. This year, we have an annual Gifts for the King offering, a gift, a gift that we end up giving over and above our regular budgeted needs as a church. And we challenge everyone to be a part of it. And our goal is $35,500. And I've listed several things of how we want to use it. We want to replace carpeting in here that needs, that's been here for 25 years. We want to uh, do it also in the foyer. We want to assist with our mix, mission trip to Mexico. We want to provide a uh, stop hunger now type event so that we can feed people who are in need. And we also want to put a new roof on the pavilion that is leaking rather badly. And that's achievable. That's doable. We can probably give out of our excess and meet that need. But you want to know what it is that I'm praying about right now? It's much bigger than that. And what I'm praying for is that we will be able to totally eliminate our mortgage indebtedness, which stands at $1.4 million right now. When I told Eric about that a few months ago, he, he looked at me and he said, Mark, he's a math major, he said, that amounts to X number of dollars and per person. How in the world are we going to be able to do that? 
Well, at a congregational meeting last, a couple of weeks ago, Wayne Kirby, our chairman of the elders, shared with those who were here how we are not only paying on, on, the, uh, on the debt that we have and making payments, but we're also quietly and focused on paying down the principal as we're able. But I'm praying that we will be able to eliminate this debt completely within a couple of years, maybe three. And I know that's ambitious. I know that's a God-sized goal. And I want you to know flat out, I'm just praying about it. We're not starting a campaign here, folks, okay? I just want you to be clear about that. Don't get, don't get panicky and say, oh, no, you know, here we go again. I'm praying about it. And I am simply committing to do that. And I would ask any one of you who want to, to join me in prayer for that. But I also want you to know why. Because it's not for ourselves. It's something that would free up $127,000 a year for us to invest in the work of of the kingdom elsewhere. Places like uh, investing in, in providing a place for orphans or providing orphan care even here within, within the, the Richmond, Virginia area. It would also allow for us to maybe even build a be- better structure for, that, for that, uh, that home where those 135 blind and, and deaf children are in India who live in incredibly substandard living, but yet they're loved and they're cared for and they're provided for. It would help us to target community issues and efforts and allow for us to help people in need. It would help us to start new churches in the greater Richmond area that will reach more people with the good news of Jesus Christ and it would help us to enhance what it is that we do here to reach more people as well. But our task, really when it comes right down to it, isn't so much to raise $1.4 million. Our task is very simple. Our task is to honor the master, to be faithful to him. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 7, the Apostle Paul is talking to Timothy, and he's a minister, and he's a, he's, a, he's a preacher of the gospel in the church in Ephesus. And Timothy's going through some discouraging times, and he encourages Timothy, even though he is very near to death, Paul, he encourages Timothy with these words, join me, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who tries to comp- com- who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown, except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight in all of this. In this passage, our role as believers in Jesus Christ, as followers of Christ, is 
compared to that of a soldier, one who is totally devoted to listening to what the commander says and obeying it without any kind of reservation. Our role is also compared to an athlete who is disciplined and focused in achieving his or her goal. And our role is also compared to that of a farmer who is persistent as well as patient in his work. And we all need those qualities in order to live effectively for Jesus Christ. You see, I said our task is simple. But I did not say that our task is easy. Because it isn't. We need God's help to make that happen in us. And I, wanna, I want us to understand that I'm not talking about trying to earn our salvation or anything. I'm talking about using what we have to show that we are saved, to demonstrate that we are, we are saved. Because the only one who can save us is God himself and his son, through his son, Jesus Christ. And we want to show just how much we love God, how much he means to us, and fulfill the opportunity as well as the responsibility to serve him. And it's going to be seen in our devotion. It's going to be seen in our focus and discipline. It's going to be seen in our patience and persistence in following him even when things aren't going the way we would like them to. Folks, in India, I met people who were literally beaten for their faith. And they were told to deny Jesus or else we will destroy you. They were given death threats. Their children were given death threats and yet they refused to deny him. I met people who also had their homes burned down and they had no place to live and no resources to fall back on because they were willing to stand for Jesus and say, I'm not going to deny him no matter what. And the parable that that we're looking at right here in Matthew 25, I suspect that the first two, the guy with the five bags of gold and the one with the two bags of gold, I suspect that they had setbacks, that they had frustrations and weariness that that set in while they sought to do something significant for their master. But like the people in India, they kept on anyway. By contrast... The one who had the one bag of gold, the $1.5 million, went ahead and buried his, his gold and did absolutely nothing. He lived a good life. He lived free of any trouble, of any risk. That is, until the master came home. And my question to each of us is, who, who in the world are we serving? Are we serving other people? Are we serving ourselves or are we serving the one who only deserves our attention and our praise and our worship and our lives? Here's a third truth that I want us to see from this passage of Scripture. And that is that God desperately wants to say well done to us. God desperately wants to say that. Do you want to hear that? I think that there there is a sense in which we need to realize that there is going to be a time when we face God 
whether it is after we breathe our last or whether he comes before we do that. And there are those who are not going to look forward to that time. Maybe you dread that a little bit yourself. But those who don't look forward to it are depicted by the one who took what the master had given him and buried it in the ground. And when the master came back and asked for a reckoning of the accounts, I don't think this guy was too excited about it. He had the same amount of time as the other guys. He had ample resources to do something with. But all he had were excuses. Can I be real honest with you? And please understand, I'm preaching to me just as much as I'm preaching to you. Sometimes we talk ourselves out of doing some pretty exciting things for God because we're simply too lazy. We don't want to put in the effort of what's before us. We want to live life our way rather than allow ourselves to face the inconveniences that God may have along the way. And often we focus on doing what we want. And sometimes we may even try to make those things that we want to do sound semi-spiritual by giving some special words to it. For example, we hear Jesus say, go and make disciples. And we respond by saying, well, I'll go to church, or I'll sing and play in the praise team. I'll preach or teach a class. And yet the reality is that we don't like doing the hard work. So we try to cover that up by doing something that might be far less than what we know our master calls us to do. Now, folks, please understand me. I'm not discounting what anyone does in this church. I'm so grateful for it. Okay? I'm grateful for those of you who step up and do things all for the glory of God. But I am challenging each of us me included, not to shy away from telling the countless others in in, the countless others in, in in our life path about who Jesus is, what it is that he has done, so that they might have the opportunity to follow him. He wants us to multiply what he has given. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we find out that we have this treasure in these broken vessels of ours. We have this treasure, this priceless treasure of Jesus Christ, Him crucified, buried, risen again, who loves us with a passionate love and He wants to love others with that same passionate love. But if we don't tell them, they won't know. And when we live for self rather than for the Lord, I am convinced that it's going to be extremely embarrassing for us when he asks us to give an account. I believe that the two who doubled what the master gave them couldn't wait for him to get back. I mean, they were so excited, they were jumping up and down. And when he finally shows up, they they share the news with him. 
Look at verse 20. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. And then verse 22 says, the man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you have entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. And both of these guides heard the same words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. You've been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. And you and I know of people who have done just that. They have multiplied and they have served. I think about Ajay and Indu Lal over in India. And they, they started about 32 years ago with a mission project. And they began to serve and they began to raise support here. This church was one of the first ones to support them. Ajay said that he remembers staying in Vernell Adams' home and coming and, and, then, and then sharing the work. And that's when the church started supporting them. And it was basically, there wasn't that much going on. But now, that ministry oversees 2,000 churches, has trained thousands of evangelists and preachers, has six or seven orphanages that tell children about the love of God. They now end up having a nurse's training school, which is certified by the state. They also have a hospital. They have Bible translation work going on. They have a Bible college where they're training leaders. They have, they have hunger relief and water wells for areas in need. They have several shelter homes for families who, as I told you before, are burned out of their homes so that they have a place to stay and a safe place for them. And they're told, don't you back out of your faith in Jesus. And that doesn't include all the leadership training and the evangelistic meetings that they end up having in other countries, such as Bangladesh and Sri Lanka and other places. And I don't know if they think much about this, you know. But they and many others that you may know of that have put their talents to use in, in a God-honoring way. And they have grown them substantially. They're the people that we really look forward to hearing God say to them, well done, well done. And we'll be able to applaud them. And yet there are a significant other, a, a number of others, and there may be many in this room right now who faithfully serve, who pray, faithfully preach and teach and pray, invite, they witness and they invest in kingdom work. And most everybody else is so busy that they don't even notice what they're doing. And maybe that's you. Maybe you're wondering if you're doing any good at all. And yet, day after day, you get up and you keep at it. And yet you rarely, if ever, see the results. 
And because of that, even though you're faithful, you're wondering if you're doing what God has given you to the fullest. And you question sometimes in the quiet of the night, did I, did, did I share boldly? Did I teach with conviction? Did I pray with enough passion? Did I serve humbly? Did I love unreservedly? We just sang a chorus about how our good, good father at nighttime comes to us and he reminds us that we're never alone and that he loves us and that he's pleased with what we do. I think a day is going to come for many of us, many of us who just wonder when we're going to stand before the, the, the throne of God. And we're going to be in line, ready for our time where we give an accounting. But while we're standing in line, a whole bunch of other people are going to come at us. And they're going to say, you know, you did this, and it really made an impact in my life. You said this, and a seed was planted in my life, and even though I walked away from you and I was totally, totally upset, you planted a seed, and it bore fruit in me, and I am now a follower of Jesus. You know, that loving touch that you gave me when I was about to break held me up because the Holy Spirit worked through you in a significant way. And then our turn's going to come and Jesus is going to come right alongside us as our great advocate, as our great lawyer. And he's going to say, Dad, he served you. He's your child. She loved you. She gave all that she had. And they have trusted and reflected your grace and your love. And then we're going to end up hearing the Father look at us and say, well done. Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in little things. I'll put you in charge of much. Enter into the joy of your master. God, I thank you. I thank you that you just so want to say well done to each of us. I thank you that you challenge us to live for you You've commissioned us to something that is life-changing, not only in our lives, but in the lives of others. Sometimes we find ourselves wondering if we're equal to that task. But you wouldn't have given us this responsibility if you didn't believe in us. So I pray right now, as we're really trying to wrestle with stuff, with decisions. I pray that you'll be here. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will speak to our hearts and that you will convict us concerning 
sin concerning righteousness, the things that we need to be encouraged by and judgment, that you will help us to make the decision that you want us to make. And whether it be in this room or elsewhere, I pray that we will live out that decision all to your name's honor and glory. I pray in Jesus' name.